Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter for Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor. And, Chris, I think the only way to start this podcast um, would be to uh, pay tribute to a legend, uh, somebody who's in the rafters at Rocky Mortgage Fieldhouse, um, somebody who, you know, did a long, 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 long service for the Cavaliers and offering his voice and, you know, really painting the picture for millions to listen to the Cavaliers over the years. Uh, Mr. Joe Tate passed away this week. Um, Chris, what was your overall thought and overall impression and overall memory of Joe Tate? So here's the thing, Hayden. I didn't know him very well. I mean, I didn't start on the beat until 2014 when LeBron came back. Yeah. But um, looking at it from that perspective, coming at it from that perspective, the thing that stood out to me the most is that in talking to the people that I know that knew him well or that listened to him or that got to know him, um, you could just sense the kind of impact that he had. Um, and it obviously went beyond just what he did with a microphone. Um, yeah. That's going to live on. Those memories are going to live on. Those catchphrases are going to live on. And he mentored so many different people, including current play-by-play guys that are still doing it at a really, really high level. So just having an opportunity to talk to them about the kind of impact that Joe Tate made for them, um, it really resonated with me just how incredible of a guy he was and how incredible of a play-by-play guy he was as well. Um, But I didn't have very many interactions with him at all um, because he was, like I said, he was done by the time I took over on the beat. And it's not like I grew up listening to him um, and having him be a huge influence on me just because I was more into um, watching it on TV rather than listening to it on the radio. That was just me personally. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, being, yeah, I, when I'm a little young, too, and wasn't, like, around with Joe Tate, but I do remember listening on the radio, mm-hmm. um, driving in the car with my grandfather and listening to him call, you know, playoff games or games with LeBron, and um, it was uh, certainly always, I just, I remember his voice so well, I remember the way in which he called the game, and he just painted a really awesome picture when yeah. you couldn't see it, um, you know, I, unfortunately, I never, I never got to meet Joe, I never did, never once, Um because, you know, as the stories go, I mean, basically, you know, when he retired, he just went away. He he, he just wanted to do his own thing, hanging out with his family. And, and I think, you know, I think I read a book about him. Um, and maybe Terry wrote one, um, Terry Pluto, about Joe Tate. And I think he, he loved trains and he loved uh, ice cream. And, like, that's what he that's what he did. He went <laughs> home and, and enjoyed his trains and ice cream. And, and you yeah. know, he was one of the guys that just when he was done, he was done. Um, yeah. they didn't, he didn't. You know, spent a lot of time. I, I don't think he was very rarely seen, very, very rarely seen after uh, he retired. So um, it's unfortunate I didn't get to see him and get to meet him, but certainly made an impact, you know, on Cavaliers fans everywhere yeah. for a long time. And I just just from the amount of people that, that you know, had tributes for him and, and really just um, had great words to say, it was really awesome to see for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting because, you know, shortly after it happened, actually before he passed away, um, we had gotten together as a company, uh, myself, Dave Campbell, Jamie Turner, uh, Terry Pluto. And, you know, Terry had been writing 
a bunch about Joe Tate, and he had that conversation with Joe over the weekend, mm-hmm. um, and it ran in the Plain Dealer. I think it was the day before he passed away, actually. Mm-hmm. So we had been talking a lot about how to potentially handle if he were to pass on and, and what the best way to do it um, was going to be. And, and look, like I'm the lead Cavs beat reporter, so I recognize that I have a great responsibility when it comes to anything Cavs related to write about it, mm-hmm. to share some kind of perspective, whether it's just telling people what the news is or giving a deeper dive into um, into the guy's life, into the guy's career, whatever the case may be, right? Um, right. And the company had asked me to do the obituary. And I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. Um, and it, it, it was no knock on anybody. I, I, I was honored that they asked me to do it. Um, again, that's, that's usually something that you ask of the lead beat reporter. That's usually something that, that fans would expect from the beat reporter. But, but, but I told, um, I told the bosses, Hey, look, like I can't do this justice. I'm not the one to do this. And, and I think sometimes Hayden, you have to know your limitations, right? And you have to know your strengths and your weaknesses. And, And I just knew that there were other people who either had been with the company um, or were currently still with the company that, that could have honored him in a way that, that he deserved it in a way that I couldn't because I just didn't have that same experience because I just didn't have that knowledge of him, the person or his career even. So um, hats off to Mary Schmidt Boyer who had the obituary um, hats off to Terry Pluto for all the great things that he wrote about Joe Tate. Um, I, I think they did a great, great job honoring the man um, and the broadcaster. And if you missed any of that stuff from either, you can check it out, cleveland.com slash Cavs, um, because that perspective is the one that, that people would want, people should want, because nobody knows uh, Joe Tate better, uh, especially than Terry, if you think about their relationship. Yeah, and you can also uh, it's I'm gonna I have it linked on the bottom of the uh, the post that yeah. this podcast is gonna be posted right. on too. So, so that definitely accessible and definitely go, should go read you know about Joe Tate and, and what he meant to this community, what he meant to the Cavaliers. Obviously, just a tremendous tremendous part of Cavaliers history. Um, and like I said, I just I, I never got the opportunity to meet him, but I knew his voice. I knew his mm-hmm. um, you know I just I loved the way he painted the picture. Uh, it was really special, and I can still hear his voice in my mind and, and it echoes pretty, pretty loudly. So such an amazing person. And, um, again, hearts condolences to his family. Um, unfortunately it seemed like, you know, this was inevitable that he wasn't in great health. Right. Um, so not too much of a shock for them, which is, you know, I guess a good, a good thing that they had time to say their goodbyes, but, um, certainly our thoughts and condolences and prayers go out to the family of Joe Tate. Absolutely. Um, the one thing about Joe Tate is that, you know, that I always felt was that he never, I mean, as much as I'm sure he was in tune with, you know, I think I read that he didn't really, didn't really watch, I don't know if he didn't watch or didn't really pay attention to the Cavs, but I'm sure, you know, he was definitely aware that they won the title. You know, yeah. you just would have would have loved for him to have been able to call it, you know? For sure. Um, there's no doubt about that, especially given everything that he had to go through in some of those lean years, right? Like that's that's part of what made it so spectacular is that whether the team was great 
right? Or whether the team was just crummy as can be. Mm-hmm. He found a way, according to the people that knew him best and listened to him most, he found a way to paint that picture, uh, keep you engaged, keep you entertained. Um, and sometimes it's really, really hard to do, Hayden. I mean, yeah. I-, I know it having to write a 10-game losing streak. You feel like you're writing the same story over and over and over again. You feel like you're saying the same thing over and over and over again. So to find a way to to make a, a horrible team um, and, and present that as if they're a great team is is not something that everybody can do. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. And, and given that he had to go through some of those lean years, yeah, you would have loved for him to be able um, to tell that story. Um, you would have loved for for having that soundbite, whatever the soundbite would have been. You kind of imagine in your own mind what he would have said in, in that particular moment. Um, but you're right, like from everybody that I've talked to, he just didn't love the game as much anymore. And the way that the game was going and the way that some of these players were acting, um, yeah. he probably would have been happier calling like a Mount Union OAC championship because there you go. it was real basketball with cutting <laughs> and ball movement and passing and just um, everything that he grew up thinking basketball was supposed to be, right? Not what right. it is today. Yeah, and he did do, you know, he did do Mountain Union. He did do yep. uh, Indians for a while. So certainly not only felt in the basketball world, but definitely just a Cleveland legend and icon. I mean, he did get, he did get to have some legendary calls, you know, some of the LeBron games oh, yeah. um, where, you know, towards the end there with, the you know, the game winner against the Magic comes to mind and, you know, the 25 in a row against, uh, against the Pistons. I mean, he certainly had some moments. So um, at least it wasn't all doom and gloom for Joe Tate in terms of the Cavaliers over the years. No. No, there were some great years. Yeah. Are you kidding me? He had Miracle of Richfield. Brought that yes, to life. Yes, he did. It's just amazing that he goes that back that far. Oh, I mean, four decades. Yeah. Picture it's of consistency, long... the picture of longevity. Right. Right. Well, um, the current Cavaliers team would certainly love to have Joe Tate, you know, broadcasting and, and to telling their story. And as you mentioned, it might not be the easiest one to tell for Joe, but um, he would have done it with class, with grace and with, you know, the ability to entertain. Uh, but last night's game would not have been one that he would have liked to have uh, to have called, I'm sure. Cavaliers get blown out in New Orleans. But uh, the good news, I guess, for the Cavaliers in that blowout is that Kevin Love returned. Mm. And Larry Nance Jr. returned, uh, but Darius Garland did not play. So they're still not at full 100% yet. But could that be coming, Chris? Could that be coming tomorrow? Could that be coming sooner than that? I mean, or excuse me, not sooner than that. Could that be coming a little later than that? I mean, is is there a chance that you see Kevin Porter, or you see Kevin Porter, Larry <laughs> Nance Jr., Kevin Love? You can see him. He's all over the highlights on ESPN if you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can go, yeah, watch his highlights with the, uh, with the Houston Rockets. He's making plays over there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that was ever going to be the problem was the talent on the court. We'll see how that pans out. Um, but Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr. on the court last night. Um, yeah. Will we see you know their full contingent, their full starting lineup anytime soon? Well, here's the thing. The Cavs are in Atlanta. They're scheduled to practice basically right now. Um, it's a late practice. It's going to be a little wonky in terms of the schedule for the first seven days following the All-Star break because of the timing of testing protocols and the rule for the first seven days following the all-star break is that um, the negative test has to be returned 
before the team can get together and do team activities. Okay. So it takes a little bit of time, obviously, for those results to come in. And by the time the results are in, it's mid-afternoon, basically. Right. So that means they're not going to hold shoot-arounds before games the way that they normally do. That means they're going to be practicing in the evening here in Atlanta and probably in Miami as well. So it's just kind of funky. It's something that the Cavs are going to have to adjust to. Um, but I say that because it's all going to depend on how Darius handles practice. And it's all going to depend on on how he feels the next day after practice. Um, look, they signed Quinn Cook for a reason. They knew that Darius was less than 100% during the All-Star break. They knew that it was something that was probably going to keep him out the first game. He is so important, not just to the to the here and now, but also to the future of the organization. So they're not going to force him back on the court before he's ready. They're going to take the cautious approach. That's what they've done for everybody, especially when it comes to these kind of muscly related injuries. Um, it was different with Larry Nance Jr., right? Because he put a bunch of hardware in his surgically repaired hand and there was nothing that he could re-aggravate. There was no concern of something along those lines. With Kevin Love and a calf, it's different. With Darius Garland and a groin, it's different. So I think they're going to take this cautious approach here um, and, and see what they can do about getting him healthy and right and close to 100%, especially now that they have Quinn Cook for the next nine days um, to kind of stabilize, be the backup point guard that they were missing because of the Matthew Della Vadova injury. So that's a, that's a long way to say it, it all depends on, on how Darius responds to practice today. Yeah, no, I, I certainly understand that. Um, you wrote something last night about Kevin Love and, and, you know, his return. And, you know, basically the title of the article is Kevin Love happy to be back after most mentally taxing injury of career. So, I mean, in the article, basically you, you he's quoted and saying like it's just he was just so dejected and so upset that he couldn't like get over the hurdles and couldn't find his way back. And, you know, so it must have been a big moment for him last night to come uh, to get back in the game, although he only, scored, you know, played for 10 minutes and, um, you know, only scored one basket. And, you know, in a big loss for the Cavaliers, it still had to be a great moment for him to be like, OK, finally, you know, I've cleared this hurdle. I'm back. I'm right. playing. You know, now now let's go. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and look, it's it's a good thing for the Cavs because this is something that they've been waiting for all season long. Hayden, they have no idea how to function with a fully healthy roster. Yeah, they have no idea how to play with a fully healthy roster. They have no idea what this team looks like with a fully healthy roster. It's not only J.P. Bickerstaff that doesn't have these answers. Kobe Altman has no idea. Yeah. He's a general manager going into the trade deadline, having no idea what this actually looks like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's really, really difficult to evaluate this team from that kind of lens. Um, Jared Allen's never played with somebody like Kevin Love. Kevin Love has never played with a center like Jared Allen. So these are things that the Cavs have to figure out. These are the things that J.B. Bickerstaff and the players have to figure out. And Hayden, it's going to take time, man. Like, this isn't just snap your fingers and it's going to come together, right? The Cavs were in a rhythm. They were playing really, really well before the All-Star break because they started to learn how to play with each other with that particular group. This is a completely different group. This is Dean Wade out of the lineup, Kevin Love in. They're different kinds of players. They demand different things. They operate in different ways offensively and defensively. Um, so as much as um, 
yesterday against New Orleans was horrendous. In many ways, I think it was predictable. Yeah, um, we have seen these Cavs struggle initially when they get guys back from injury. They've done it all season long. They've gone through it all season long. And it's just like they're not great at adjusting on the fly. They're not no. great at making these things happen quickly. It, it takes a lot of time. And I mean, I think it's going to continue to take time because Kevin is such a different kind of player. He makes Larry Nance play a little bit different, right? He makes Colin Sexton play a little bit different. He makes Jared Allen play a little bit different. And this is somebody who, um, before last night's game against New Orleans, he played a game, basically. Yeah. One full game and then nine minutes in his second game. That's a lot of time to be without him, and it's going to take time to reintegrate him. Absolutely. And then you do it last night with Larry Nance Jr. and Jared Allen. I mean, that's, you know, I don't think that's going to be something they want to do all the time is to have those three guys playing. Well, um, and I think the other thing, Hayden, you did it last night without a point guard. Yeah. Colin Sexton's not a point guard for all the great things that we've said about Colin mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, including in the first half of the season where he was playing like an all-star. He's not a point guard. They know right. that. They didn't draft him to be Chris Paul. Right. They drafted him to be more like Donovan Mitchell, that type of player. So to have to try and run an offense um, and and reintegrate a guy like Kevin without Darius Garland, somebody who is so vitally important to the Cavs success. I mean, it was just all set up for bad. Right. And it, and it was bad. It was very oh, bad. It was awful. It was it horrendous. Was they were down by 40, and ugh, just brutal. But think so, about this. Think about this. Here's the number. Yeah. Um, there are two of them, actually. I got to find the, the second one. I have the first one ready to go. So it's been 67 minutes over the last two games that the Cavs have been without Darius Garland. Um, and, and this doesn't mean that Darius is, like, MVP candidate, but for this team, given the roster makeup, And given the fact that their only backup point guard um, landed in New Orleans around 4 o'clock local time, uh, the way this roster is built, uh, Darius Garland is somebody that the Cavs cannot afford to be without for a long stretch. They just just don't have another option. So over the last 67 minutes, going back to when he limped off the floor in the first half finale against Indiana, the Cavs have been outscored 170 to 116. Think about that. Oof. Without Darius. 116 points in 67 minutes. That's not what you want to see. No. Uh, and here's the other stat. With Darius on the floor this year, the Cavs' offensive rating is 106.2. With him off the floor, it's 99.9. Wow. That differential, in terms of the increase on the team's offensive capability, is the largest by about three points per 100 possessions. Yeah, it speaks to the importance of a backup point guard. It speaks to the importance of Darius. I mean, they just haven't had that that backup point guard spot solidified all year. And, um, you know, with Darius in there, obviously he's, he's more of a point guard and he's the guy that's going to lead that offense. So... We'll see if Quinn Cook can't help that. We'll see if, you know, Matthew Delavidova comes back anytime soon. Yep. 
um, because they need that. They desperately need that. Right. So I guess the point that I'm making is these game to game swings are so drastic to begin with when it comes to the Cavs. And I, I think fans have to recognize um, that they're going to continue to happen. This is a young team. This is a team that is trying to do a lot of different things, experimenting with different lineups and combinations. Um, but in saying that, like judging them on games when they don't have a single point guard, like that's not fair at all. <laughs> and right. that's not in and the other thing, Hayden, is like that's not a true picture of who this team is. Like the Cavs without Darius Garland are not the Cavs. They're some completely different team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. Absolutely. Do you think that uh, the Quinn Cook, obviously, bringing him home, bringing him back to Cleveland where he started, um, do you think it's going to be a thing where, you know, he, he'll he be here for 10 days and that's it? Or do you think this will be a long-term kind of thing where he can stay for the rest of the year and, and they can see, you know, what the fit is? Yeah, so they like him. So we'll yeah. start there. Because they like him, because they have familiarity with him, um, obviously it could, emphasis on could, be something that continues beyond the 10 days. But there are a few different factors. Um, one, it's what happens at the trade deadline. Yeah. Are they able to trade Andre Drummond? If they do trade Drummond, are they going to have to fill the roster because it's a three-for-one deal or a four-for-two deal or whatever the case may be? Or are they going to still have that open roster spot beyond the trade deadline? Um, if they still have that open roster spot beyond the trade deadline, like I think it's entirely possible that they try and keep Quinn for the remainder of the season. Um, because we know how important it is for them to fill that spot. Like if, if you look at their roster makeup currently, um, the most glaring need is backup point guard. And it's been yeah. that way since Matthew Delavadova suffered the concussion in the preseason opener, right? Like, you can get by without Kevin Love easier because you have Larry Nance Jr., right? You can get by without, uh, I don't know, maybe Isaac Okoro because you have Torian Prince. And you mm -hmm. can kind of go down the line. But with point guard, it becomes more glaring because of the drop-off from Darius to whoever it has been. Um, and and so if, if we're honest about the makeup of this roster, I think even the Cavs would admit that backup point guard is a huge priority, especially in the second half if they want to take a run at one of the play-in spots. So because of that, sure, I, I think they could keep him. Um, I just think they want the, the kind of roster flexibility going into the trade deadline that is going to lead to them probably moving on temporarily at the very least and keeping that roster spot open just in case um, they do find a trade for Andre Drummond. And what better way to transition into the next topic? But before we do, um, I want to remind you folks out there that you can sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month. All you have to do, it's first of all, it's a 14-day free trial, two-week free trial. All you have to do is look at the top of the cleveland.com slash Cavs page. There's a big blue, uh, big blue line on top, and it says – Sign up here. So sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month. You will get text sent straight to your phone, all the latest news, notes, analysis, 
anything Cavaliers related, Chris will be sending it right to your phone before he send it to, sends it to Twitter or anywhere else. So again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs and click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Chris, do you want to give them a little uh, little taste? You want to give the listeners a little taste of, of what you've been uh, subtexting sure. lately? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Trying to find one. Okay, so I sent this one recently to my subtexters. Um, Good evening, it's Chris. Something I meant to include in my piece over the weekend about all the trades when it comes to the Cavs, but I just kind of ran out of space. The front office is not worried at all about losing leverage when it comes to Drummond because they don't think he had a ton of value in the first place, and they aren't expecting any kind of significant haul for him. His value is what it is. Teams will want him or not want him. That wouldn't change if he played or didn't, if he does play or doesn't. Bottom line, he's a hard-fitting center who makes a lot of money and has a very unique style that's not for every team. Oh, and he's a free agent this summer. Chances are the best offers, relative term, will come close to the deadline. So that's what I sent recently about Andre Drummond. And then I also sent something uh, recently just about how different this post-All-Star break was going to be with the team in terms of limited practices, uh, weird shoot-arounds, and because of that, it could entice teams to try and strike with trades. Maybe not the Cavs, maybe not a team for Andre Drummond, but just around the NBA to be aware of it. It could entice teams to strike a little bit earlier before April hits, um, before end of March hits, because... Once that does, I think there's going to be really, really limited practice days around the league um, as teams are gearing up and trying to stay fresh, healthy, get the kind of recovery that they need. Um, So it's always tough to make trades middle of the season, but it's going to be tougher this year, Hayden, because um, there aren't as many practice days. So that that makes it a lot tougher to integrate new pieces. Absolutely. So once again, folks, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, and you will see the blue banner. Go sign up for Chris's subtext. Um, with that, with all the stuff you mentioned about Andre Drummond, you wrote you wrote a piece like around the, around the All-Star break about, you know, obviously the Cavaliers are going to be active. They're going to try to be trading uh, Andre Drummond. They might be, you know, trying to look at other pieces. Um, what, you know, can you take us a little bit through, you know, through that piece and what kind of went into, you know, what you think the Cavaliers may, may not do during this break, um, or excuse me, after the break and heading into the trade deadline. And, and we're, what, less than two weeks away at this point. So obviously, I mean, the, the primary concern, I don't want to say concern for the Cavs, but what they're looking to do first, everything with them at the trade deadline starts with Andre Drummond. Mm-hmm. They've got to figure out what's going to happen there. Um, the options, obviously, are try and trade him, see what you can get back, um, determine how much bad money you're willing to take back in his salary because you have to match his salary, and it's $28.7 million. That's a high, high number. And we've talked about this, Hayden. Like The guys that make that kind of um, money to match salaries, they're either not getting traded because they're friggin' really good or uh, the Cavs don't want them because they're not good 
and their contracts are horrendous. So the Cavs have to determine how much bad money they're willing to take and how much bad money they're willing to take into the next couple of years. Um, how long do some of these contracts go is going to be really, really important. Mm. Uh, the other option is, and, and I don't know how this benefits the Cavs at all. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe somebody can help me with this. But it's a buyout after a trade doesn't happen. Um, like the only benefit from the Cavs perspective is they wouldn't have to take back bad money. Right. You know what I mean? They could move on from Andre. They could allow him to go somewhere else, have him give some of his salary back to them, and they don't take back bad money. But it's still hard for me to think that the Cavs want to go that direction because part of the reason why they acquired Andre last year at the deadline is because they knew he was going to be on an expiring contract and they thought whatever happened, he was going to be a potential trade asset. So to just get rid of him for nothing, just like salary cap space, I think that would be a hard one for the Cavs front office to swallow. Um, so everything starts with him. There's no doubt about that. Um, and then they have to figure it out from there. The buyout would not make a lot of sense, and it would be hard to swallow. But there was a source. There was a source on Twitter named Alan Robinson, who obviously is the... <laughs> wide receiver in the NFL, yeah. um, saying that what is going to happen is that Andre Drummond will sign after being bought out with the Brooklyn Nets. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe Allen Robinson knows something that we don't know, that the Cavaliers are absolutely going to buy out. Um, they're going to have no choice but to buy out Andre Drummond, and he's going to go to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, obviously, I'm joking around a little bit, but it wouldn't make sense for the Nets because the Nets would love to have him. I think he'd be a good fit there. I mean, you, your starting lineup would be something along the lines of Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, um, Blake Griffin, and uh, and Andre Drummond. I mean, that would be pretty significant. Um, yeah. I don't know how it would work in terms of the numbers and who would get the ball, but um, okay. it certainly would be talented, if nothing else. Um, so it would make sense that Andre Drummond would fit there. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, there, are, uh, there are other teams, obviously, that the Cavaliers would be looking to trade Andre to. Boston Celtics, um, you know, yeah. New York Knicks, maybe the Toronto Raptors are three of the two, three of the teams that come on, you know, come to my mind right away. Right. Um, but the problem is, again, it's matching salaries and, and, you know, the Cavaliers taking on bad money and all that stuff. So I, I do think it would be difficult, difficult, difficult for the Cavaliers to just say, hey, we're going to buy you out. I, I just I, I think that would go against everything they've kind of fought for up to this point, if that makes any sense. And I mean, here's the other thing uh, you were mentioning, some of those other teams that make sense as a trade partner. And those teams do make sense. And, and I think those other teams have to understand, look, if he hits free agency, Allen Robinson thinks it. I think it. So many people around the NBA think it. It's Brooklyn or Los Angeles, the Lakers, that is. Like, if you're Toronto, how do you beat them in a buyout? Yeah. If you're Dallas, how do you beat them in a buyout? New York, maybe, possibly, because they're offering a big opportunity in terms of role, and it's New York, and Andre's from New York. But, but even that, it just seems like it's a two-team race if he hits free agency in a buyout market. It's right. Brooklyn, it's Los Angeles. Yep. So if you want Andre and you feel like he's the kind of player that you need for the stretch run and your team like Toronto, Miami, 
New York, Dallas, any one of those kinds of teams. Your only shot is to trade for it. Yes, absolutely. You can't. So, yeah, I mean, right. That's something that those teams, those contenders, would have to think about. Um, on top of that, like over the weekend, everybody went nuts over the Larry Nance Jr. stuff that I wrote in that story, and they missed yeah. like. <laughs> They miss the most important part, Hayden. I mean, everybody everybody had Larry going everywhere, right? Because there are a bunch of teams that I wrote about that have shown interest. Minnesota has been hot for Larry Nance Jr. for months. And D'Angelo Russell wants him in Minnesota. And the Timberwolves want him playing next to Cat because yeah. he has that kind of game. Miami, Dallas. New Orleans, Boston. There's a bunch of other teams that I included in there. But but people missed the fact that after naming all those teams, I clearly wrote that the Cavs are telling teams that he's not available. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I get it. And and uh, could you imagine if they did trade him? I mean, I, the, the PR backlash should be <laughs> through uh, the roof. I mean, I even wrote that in my story. The general manager, Kobe Altman, has been telling opposing GMs that he would have to be included in the trade because he wouldn't be allowed back in Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff would turn on him. The players in the locker room would turn on him, and the fans would be like, yo, dude, you're not welcome back in Cleveland. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and on top of all that, Hayden... Beyond, you know, the emotional stuff and, and what Larry means to the city, he's one of their most impactful players, who is, right. by the way, on a very, very, very friendly team contract. Yes. It just, yeah. I mean, I saw that, and obviously Larry tweeted about, you know, stop trading me or, or stop trading yep. me in the trade machine or whatever after that. And, you know, yeah. It was it was just a funny thing. It's obviously again, I, I would like you said, Kobe Altman would not be allowed back. JB Bickerstaff would turn on like if he Larry Nance Jr. is going nowhere, but it does make sense the teams would be interested in him. Um very good player, very you know, team friendly oh. contract, and you know, it all makes sense. Dude, he would be perfect for a lot of these teams. Think about what he could mean to the Miami Heat playing next to Bam. Yep. Think about what he could mean to the Boston Celtics. Think about what he could mean to the New Orleans Pelicans playing next to Zion. Think about any of those teams. I mean, in Dallas, with Luka, adding mm -hmm. that floor spacing, adding that defense, he impacts winning in a big way. A lot of contenders could use the things that Larry brings to the table. And on top of all that, he's a great guy, and he's no maintenance. Yep. So it makes sense that teams would come to the Cavs and say, hey, what's it going to take for us to get Larry Nance Jr.? And the Cavs are basically telling them, look, you are going to have to blow us away with an offer. Yeah. I even wrote in my story, Hayden, they have turned down an offer that includes multiple late first-round picks. Yep. 
Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it literally makes zero sense for them to trade him and and any in any way, shape, or form. No, I mean, unless you know, like you said, unless it's for somebody along the lines of I don't know, say a Luca or something. Someone's gonna right. blow him. So, away. like, here's the way that it would make sense to me. This is like the only way that it would make sense. Okay, so let's say hypothetically, the Chicago Bulls continue to free fall here, right? And they fall out of the mix, and they make Zach Levine available. I'm not saying he's a great fit for the Cavs, but it's an all-star caliber player who can go out, create buckets for himself, create buckets for others. He's actually the kind of player that they do need, to be honest with you. So let's say he becomes available. Well, Larry Nance Jr., not only does he become more salary to kind of aggregate in that kind of deal, but he's somebody that Chicago could say, all right, he would help us change the culture, right? We've got a new head coach. We've got a new GM. He could help us change the culture. He can help us win. He's a good fit alongside some of our younger players, similar to the way that the Cavs view him. You know what I mean? So if they had to in that kind of deal, I think that's what the Cavs would be interested in. But if it's a package of draft picks, I mean – how many more of those do you really need? Exactly. How do you, no. how do you sell that to JB Bickerstaff? And you're still oh. trying to figure out if you know, you're st- you're still trying to figure out if some of these draft picks are going to be long term. Yes. You know, right? So right. right, just more unknowns. Yeah. So I mean, as we're looking towards the trade deadline, the guys who are the most untouchable on this roster, and and I don't think anybody is untouchable. That's reserved for the best of the best, in my opinion. Um, but the guys who are closest to that are Jared Allen, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Isaac Okoro. And then Nance is a little bit further behind that, where they would say yes to a deal if it is a blow-them-away type offer. It would take a lot, and rightfully so. It yeah. should take a lot to get somebody like Larry Nance Jr. Anybody else other than those five? Have at it. Andre Drummond available. Kevin Love available. Uh, Torian Prince available. Jetty Osman, same thing. JaVale McGee, same thing. So that's kind of the stance for the Cavs at this point in time. And and I do think we have to point out here, Hayden, of all the moves that general manager Kobe Altman has made since taking over as a GM when it comes to trades, and he has made close to 20 in-season trades, I counted. Close to 20. With the exception of Kevin Porter Jr., which was just unique circumstances to begin with, Kobe has not parted with a core player. Yeah. So if you're thinking about what the Cavs might do at the deadline, uh, shift your focus away from core players and focus elsewhere. Because this is a team that is still in the growing stages. This is a team that is just year three removed from LeBron. Uh, breaking up this core is not something that the Cavs are interested in doing right now. Absolutely makes unless, sense. Unless, got to put the unless in here for the yes. aggregator. Right. Unless they get blown away with an offer and it's something that they absolutely have to say yes to. Absolutely. Um, Cavaliers have a two-game. So you, you are currently in Atlanta. Um, I am. 
Then you are going down to Miami, and then it is Boston, San Antonio, Toronto, and Sacramento at home. So the Cavaliers have a nice little home stint before their big road trip heading out to Chicago, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and Utah. So that's pretty much the toughest stretch of the second half for them right there um, in that four-game stretch. But Cavaliers currently at 14-23, and um, it'll be, in, again, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be back next week and, and talking about this Cavaliers team, um, you know, in the not-too-distant future, but... Uh, it seems like, you know, within the next couple, 10, maybe, you know, maybe even less than that. I mean, this seems like a defining stretch. If they can get some some games under their belt and, and stay in the hunt here, um, you know, they could keep, you know, competitive for the rest of the season. Uh, but if they have a little bit of a tough go over the, you know, over those four games and over this homestand against San Antonio, Boston, Toronto, Sacramento, it seems like it could be a little bit of a turning point towards next year. Yeah, and I think... I don't think there's anything that could happen here in the next couple of weeks, Hayden, that would shift their stance at the trade deadline. No. I think the guys that are available are available. The guys that are quote-unquote unavailable are unavailable. Um, The other thing that we've noticed when it comes to the Cavs' front office, they don't make emotional rash decisions for the most part. Yeah. And and they understand the situation that they're in. They're 14-23. and They're fourth in the division. They've got one of the worst records in the Eastern Conference. But I think their strength of schedule in the second half, Hayden, is around 17, which allows them to potentially make up some ground here in the Eastern Conference. And if they don't, if they don't make the playoffs, if they don't get into the play-in tournament, then the worst-case scenario is they're in line potentially for another high pick, which this organization needs. Yeah, especially with this loaded draft class at the very, very top. If the Cavs could get a top five pick, if that's the end result of this season, if that's quote unquote worst case scenario, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, that you're right. I mean, people are already talking about Cade Cunningham and some of the some of the prospects. How good is he? Yeah, there you go. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Moses Moody. Kaminga, Jalen Green, like, if we're being honest, it, to me, it's more important for the Cavs to to get another high lottery pick than it is to sneak into the play-in tournament and get that kind of exposure and that kind of experience. I would agree. I would agree. And that we will find out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, before we go, Chris, anything else that you want to bring up? Man, I don't think so. Yeah. We'll probably, you know, it'll probably be a short turnaround on the pod for, you know, we'll probably get maybe Thursday or so next week. So um, we'll have those, the Atlanta game, the Miami game, and the Boston game under the belt. And then yeah. uh, then they'll go, you know, then they'll continue that homestand against San Antonio, Toronto, and Sacramento. So. And by the way, the Cavs are getting Miami at the absolute worst time imaginable. Yeah. They're 9-1 yeah. and one over their last 10. They're all of a sudden the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And yeah, and they're getting in Miami on Tuesday at, you yeah. know, at night. Yep, eight o'clock. Yep, not good, not good. So hopefully, again, hopefully they can pull one out against Atlanta because Miami looks difficult. Um, you know, and, and a big loss to New Orleans doesn't help. So we will see what happens there. Um, but again, they need to string some wins together if they would do want to have that chance for the postseason. And I know that's their goal, but I think you're right. And that maybe at this point. They just might be better with all these talented guys that are coming up. Um, and I'm excited to watch during the NCAA tournament, which is uh, obviously coming up next week. Um, 
But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We appreciate you. Uh, be sure to sign up for Chris's subtext. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. You will get all of your Cavaliers news, notes, information, and any analysis sent straight to your phone before it's sent to Chris's Twitter. So again, $3.99 a month. All you have to do is go to the cleveland.com slash Cavs page, and it will be on the blue banner at the top of the page. So just click it, and you will figure out how to do it from there. It's pretty self-explanatory. So it's not going to be a big issue for you to go do. So once again, $3.99 a month, two-week free trial. Chris, enjoy Atlanta, enjoy Miami, and uh, get back home safely, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the sunshine if you're in Northeast Ohio, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Take care.